you so much. And uh, moms and dads and everybody else, Luke chapter 7, please, if you have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one right in front of you in the pocket. Uh, they're kind of scattered out there. So go ahead and grab your Bible. If you have your iPad and iPhone, that's okay too. Uh, but get it out and read along here in just a moment. We've been talking about personal relationships that our Savior had with people in the Word of God. And I know there were the big groups, you know, the Beatitudes was given to a huge crowd, the feeding of the 5,000 given to a huge crowd. There were lots of times that Christ was in with a huge crowd of people, but a lot of times in the Gospels, he's one-on-one with folks. And these lessons that we've studied over the last few weeks, I hope have been an encouragement to you. They certainly have been an encouragement to me. Now, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 34, I want to show you that first. That's not really the text. It's, it's the verse or two before the text that we're going to use today. But listen to this. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. I didn't say republicans. Uh, it said, a friend of publicans and sinners. Publicans were uh, tax collectors. They were Jewish people who were employed by the Roman government to exact taxes from their own people. So, do you think they were real popular people? And eh. Not at all. They were not popular with their own people because they felt like these publicans were turncoats. They weren't loyal to their own nation. They were, in fact, and instead uh, loyal to Rome. Uh, he, he, loves, uh, he loved them. Jesus loved the publicans. Uh, he, he loved Jews. He was a friend of Pharisees as well. He loved all people, and he still does. And so what we, we come to and we find out in verse 36 is there was a certain banquet, and at this banquet, Jesus uh, does what he does so well. He redeems someone, and this story, he redeems a fallen woman, beginning in verse 36. And one of the Pharisees... More on these guys later. We talk about the Pharisees every once in a while. I said a few weeks back that there were some good things about some of the Pharisees. The Bible talks about some of the good things about some of the Pharisees. But there was a a generalization, a kind of sin um, or several sins that were predominant with some of the Pharisees that probably are predominant with us as well today. So we need to look at this with open eyes, okay? Don't just say, boy, they're so bad, but let's make some application in our own lives. So more on the Pharisees later. But one of the Pharisees desired Jesus that he would come and eat with him, and he went to the, and Jesus went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. Well... Wouldn't that pretty well describe everybody in the city? She was a woman who was a sinner. I mean, we could say a man who was a sinner. That would apply to everybody. But there's, there's some specificity here. It means to deviate, to miss the mark, to sin. Obviously, that's what sinning is. Erring from the, the way or the, or the right way or the mark. Um, erring from divine law. A wicked person. An impious person. Maybe someone who's a decent neighbor, but had no use for God, had no use for the things of God. The Greek word indicates a woman of the town, a woman of the town devoted to sin, indicating here a prostitute. uh, That fan's driving us crazy. Just tilt it down a little bit, and uh, I'm just trying to not overheat here. I don't want to. All right, good. 
so this action uh, on her part, by the way, going to this banquet, this lady of the town, lady of the streets who goes to this banquet, it, this took incredible courage. She was well known. People knew who she was. Uh, but she, she went there anyhow. She entered the home of a Pharisee uninvited and was about to be very personal with this rabbi named Jesus. And why would that happen? Why do you, this is just, couldn't be just a random act, could it? I mean, do you think she was just walking by and she said, I think I'll go in there and see what's going on? She came with purpose because she had this special ointment we'll talk about in a minute. So she went on purpose. She knew Jesus was going to be there specifically. Maybe she had heard him speak uh, the words of Matthew eleven twenty eight when he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Maybe she was tired. Maybe she was really, really tired. Tired of her own sinfulness. Tired of falling short. Tired of living with guilt and shame. Tired of being abused by the men of this town. Maybe she just took Jesus' words literally when he said, come unto me, if that's, if that's describing you, come to me. In New Testament times, Jewish rabbis would not eat or speak with women in public. Uh, we mentioned this a few weeks. In fact, uh, I mean, I read this in Matters and Customs of, of the Bible days. The rabbis wouldn't even speak to their own wives when they were in public. And that's so weird to me. Uh, I mean, I would not speak to anybody else, but I, I would want to speak to my wife. For sure. And I for sure would want to listen to her. Right, guys? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, but this wasn't just any woman, as we mentioned. Her sins are not named, but she's believed to have a tarnished reputation. So the other attendees of the banquet are critical of her morality. And, and, and rightfully so. If, I mean, she was guilty of sins of the flesh. If this idea that she was a prostitute is true, she was guilty of sins of the flesh. But I, I want to submit to you that Simon the Pharisee, Simon the person who prayed, Simon the religious leader, Simon the one who people looked up to and revered, Simon had sins of his own. His sins were unseen maybe by most of the people. They were sins of the Spirit. He had a critical attitude. He had a hard heart. Second Corinthians 7 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Not just sins of the flesh, but let's cleanse ourselves from the sins of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness. In the fear of God. And this Pharisee named Simon was proud. He was judgmental. He looked down on this lady, probably looked down on others. He looked down on Christ, we're going to find out in a minute. And Jesus expects more of us than just refraining from actual sins of the flesh. He wants us to be free from the sins of the spirit, the things that captivate our mind, the things that that chain our hearts. He wants us to be free from lust which includes more than just sexual desire. It's any kind of inordinate desire for something, whether it be money, power, fame, attention, sexual favors, whatever it is. He wants to be free from lust, free from murder, free from even thinking about it in our minds, free from ulterior motives, free from pride, free from envy. I read somewhere this week that envy is is uh, telling God he's not been fair to you. 
you envy other someone else. Oh, well, God, how come they have? Now, you wouldn't say it that word probably, but God, how come they have that and I don't? I should have that. They shouldn't have that. He wants to free us from that. He wants to free us from bitterness. As I told you before, bitterness is like drinking poison to get even with someone else for something they've done to you. It doesn't affect them so much, but it could affect you, and it does. He wants to free us from thanklessness, all kinds of things. We may have an exemplary life day-to-day at work. We may have a pretty good testimony. At church, we may have a great testimony. In our neighborhood, people might like us. But inside of our minds, inside of our hearts, there may be a lot of corruption. There may be a lot of problems there. So we need to take care of that. Now we see her sacrifice in verse 37a. First part of verse 37, when she knew, and it means they're fully recognized, when she fully recognized that Jesus sat. Now, by the way, they didn't sit in chairs like we sit in. Uh, they, they either, they reclined generally on a couch or in some cases on a carpet. They would, they would recline uh, as the Greeks and Romans did. And they would have their legs stretched out behind them and would have their sandals off, so unsandals, feet back behind them. And he was eating in the Pharisee's house. And this lady, knowing he was there and that he was eating, brought an alabaster box. And that's a, a vessel. I think we have pictures of it here, a picture of one. Uh, it's, it's kind of a marble uh, type of, of, a, of a box or a vessel to hold ointment or perfume. Uh, it was called alabaster because it was made of a valuable marble that was found in these days in Thebes and Egypt and Damascus and Syria as well as in Italy and Cappadocia. And this box uh, had within it uh, a precious ointment. And it was uh, an oil with aromatic concoctions added to it uh, depending on the particular taste of whoever owned it. Now, needless need to say she was not an invitee to the banquet. She was there by perhaps an unusual custom because oftentimes beggars would, would be allowed to come in, view guests, and entering such a, a, a feast as this to, to just observe and to be in the presence of these great people. And they usually came seeking out a gift or a handout, charity. They wanted something. Uh, unfortunately, what she got from the host and from many of the guests was not charity, but instead judgment. She had this expensive alabaster jar of perfume. The box itself was unusually expensive, but the perfume even more so. Uh, Another anointing, some people think this is the same as John chapter 12 where Mary anointed the feet of Jesus. It's a different different anointing, uh, different, uh, in that case, Judas complained about the waste, waste of money anointing the Lord. Uh, in that case, uh, it was a difference. Galilee was J- Jerusalem. Uh, in that case, they were a year apart. So there's some differences. Uh, but very much like Mary's anointing, it was equated to, in Mary's case, a year's salary. So what do you make a year? Whatever you make a year, if you had an alabaster box of this ointment that was worth that much money, that's pretty impressive. That's a That's a that's more than Channel 5 costs, right? Uh, Chanel 5. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I know, I'm old. I know, I know. Okay. Does anybody use Chanel number 5? I don't know anymore. But anyhow, uh, it was very expensive. And so she sat, she took it, and she, in some cases, the Bible says, our, our people, commentaries will say, she broke the alabaster jar to open it. In some cases, they were sealed. Broke it to open it. But in any case, she did put the ointment on our Savior's feet. So she had 
a tremendous sacrifice a year's salary. Then we see her sorrow in the first part of verse 38. She stood at his feet behind him, weeping. Jesus is reclining. He's eating the food. His feet are back here. She comes up behind, and, and she is, she is uh, uh, stood at his feet, weeping. Why? Conviction, maybe? I've wept over conviction, knowing I'm guilty. Maybe weeping over his amazing grace. The older I get, the easier it is for me to weep over the incredible grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he would forgive me, that he would accept me, that he would allow me to pastor, to preach the gospel. He would allow me to have my wonderful wife. For some reason she was weeping. Maybe, maybe just the bare presence of Christ. Can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus Christ? And as she began weeping, she began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet. That sounds strange to us in our society today. It was strange for a couple of reasons we'll talk about in that society, but that's what she did. She wept over her sins. She wept over his grace. She wept, over, she wept out of both. Hey, guys, here's the key. She wept because of both sorrow and joy. She was, after all, a woman. Now, advice to those of you who are going to get married, a woman will cry for at least two reasons. One of them because she's happy. One of them because she's sad. Your mission should you choose to <laughs> accept it, is to try to figure out which one. Be afraid, be very, very afraid. <laughs> she was behind him. She was at his feet. She washed her, his feet with her unbidden tears. These were not crocodile tears. These were actual tears, and the, and the tears were streaming down her cheeks in such copious quantity that she was able to actually wash the feet. Of our Savior. She dried them with her hair. And even though it was a shameful thing for a woman to let her hair down in public, she did. This was another act of self-humiliation and sacrifice on her part in the presence of these proud, righteous, judgmental men, accepting, of course, Jesus Christ. And then she didn't stop there. She washed his feet with her tears. She dried his feet with her hair. And she kissed her feet. The kissing of feet, especially those of the rabbi, was a show of great respect. I wish you all could have known my mom. She was so funny. She was incredible. She had a great sense of humor. Every once in a while she'd say, kiss my foot. But I don't think she meant it in the way this was right here. I think she had a whole different meaning behind that. But, uh, but the kissing of the feet of the rabbi was a show of great respect, and she did. I know there are some churches that have a third ordinance, not only baptism, not only communion, but foot washing. And, and it's an ordinance they do based on the fact that Jesus took a basin and a towel, went from disciple to disciple, washing their feet, an act of humility. Here you have the creator of the heavens and the earth, humbling himself and, and washing the feet of his followers, his students. That's what she was doing for our Savior. We see in the last part of verse 38, her service, and she anointed them with oil. Last of all, after washing uh, her, his feet with tears, after, after drying his feet with her hair, after kissing his feet out of 
uh, love and, and, and admiration and respect. Then she took this very expensive perfume and ointment and anointed his feet in a ritualistic religious sense. Now, here's the, here's the back story, okay? Whose responsibility was it to provide water for the washing of guests' feet? Well, who, who, whose responsibility do you think it was? Anybody want to guess? The host. The host. This was something they did. Now, you know, it, it, customs change, right? I mean, if we have you over to my house, I'm probably not going to say, here, here's a basin of water, here's, some, here's a washcloth, here's some comet cleanser, go ahead, you know, <laughs> knock yourself out. Uh, it, we, we, we don't do that kind of thing. But we have shoes, we have pavement, we have sidewalks, we have, you know, we have carpet. We, so it's, it's a lot different in those dusty roads and paths and days uh, when a guest would come in, then they would offer a basin of water and maybe even have a servant, or if they didn't have servants, they would then wash the feet of that person. That was his responsibility. He should have, he should have provided uh, a, a oil for the head, but he didn't do either one of them. And the woman would not presume to anoint Jesus' head, but she would presume to wash and to anoint his feet. In verse 39, we see her Savior, the resentment of the Pharisees, first of all. Now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him, the Pharisee Simon who had invited Jesus into his home for a dinner, he spoke within himself. Notice that. You know what that means? He spoke within himself. He didn't say it out loud. He didn't articulate the words. He thought it. He spoke to himself. Anybody here talk to yourself? Anybody here answer yourself? You all do. Don't give me that. We spend more time talking to ourselves than anybody else. At least I think that's normal because that's what I do. So it must be normal. I do it, right? But he spoke within himself saying, if this man, if he were a prophet, if he was really genuine, if he was the real thing, he would know what kind of woman this is who is touching him. The word he uses for touches is clinging to him. This wasn't just a mere touch, you're it. It was a holding, cradling his feet, kissing his feet, anointing his feet, washing his feet, drying his feet. She was clinging to him. If he were really a prophet, he would know about this lady. He would tell her to stand down because she is a sinner. So in this, we know some things. We know, first of all, he had a contempt for the Lord. If he really were who he claims to be, if he really was special, if he really was the Son of God, He wouldn't know about that. He wouldn't have to be told that. He had contempt for the woman. She's such a a waste. She's such a sinner. I can't believe she came in here in in my banquet and she's she's doing this. He he was such a good Pharisee. I told you I'd tell you a little bit more about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a sect that seems to have started after the Jewish exile. In addition, the Old Testament books, uh, the Pharisees recognized, in addition to the Old Testament books, the Pharisees recognized an oral tradition that was handed down. So they had many, many, many traditions and laws that were not part of the Old Testament. They were things that were handed down. And they prided in themselves uh, and their good works. What irony. They were so proud of their good works. And yet, here was a woman performing a good work. And they were condemning her. And he was wrong. This, Simon was wrong in both accounts. 
Jesus did know about this woman, all about her. And Jesus, uh, she, she was a sinner, but she was about to be changed. And he, Jesus, was a prophet and is a prophet and always shall be a prophet. We see the response of the Savior in verse 40. The contents of the parable. Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have someone, I, I won't tell you a story. I won't talk to you a minute. And he said, Master, go ahead, say on. And there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. The one owed him 500 pence, the other 50. And, of course, there weren't pence in the Bible days. This is an English translation. But uh, when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave. And In other words, he freely forgave out of his generosity, out of his bounty, he forgave them both. Jesus said to Simon then, tell me, therefore, which of them loved him the most. Which of them love him the most? One owed 500, whatever the denominations were, one had 50. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And Jesus said to him, you've rightly judged. Now the first one owes him 500 pieces of silver. Uh, with subtlety, Jesus lets Simon know he knows about this woman's past. She's a great sinner. She owes 500 pieces of silver. That's the application there. The second owes 50 pieces of silver. But guess what, buddy? You're not exempt. You're also a sinner. You have a debt. You are a debtor. And ladies and gentlemen, every one of us are debtors. Every single one of us are debtors to the Lord and to God. We, have, we owe a debt that we cannot pay. Neither one of these can pay him. The first one was the most grateful because uh, she was forgiven the most. But Simon's answer is, I suppose, maybe it was kind of an arrogance. Maybe it was an air of indifference. Maybe it was both. But, but the point is, neither one of these people could repay the debt. They were both insolvent. One was only perceived to be worse than the other. So the conclusion of the parable is seen in verses 42 through 50. And he turned to the woman. As far as we know, it's the first time he looks at her. I mean, maybe he did before, but we don't know that from the narrative. So he looks to the woman now, down at his feet, and he said to her, Simon, see this woman? Look at her. In other words, look at her now. Simon's real problem was he, he could not see the woman or himself or Christ with true vision. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, which was a greeting. <laughs> it, it was a greeting among men. They would, they would kiss each other. I think still do that in many parts of the, uh, of the Eastern cultures. I had a guy one time that came to my church. His name was... Uh, what was his name? Omar. Omar. Omar Surki. Omar Surki was from Jordan. And I'm telling you, we had a great story, a great relationship. But he, every Sunday, he would come up and kiss me on both cheeks. It was kind of weird. Not used to getting whisker burn when I get kissed. But, <laughs> but that was just his custom, and that's, uh, that's what they did. So he said, you, you, you know, you gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hasn't ceased to kiss my feet, my head with oil you didn't anoint. But this woman anointed my feet with oil. Wherefore, I say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. In other words, remain forgiven in spite of the slur and the judgmental attitudes of the Pharisees. For she loved me much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Guess what, Mr. Pharisee? You don't love me nearly as much as she 
loves me. Here's the complication of the parable. Jesus was an invited guest, but the host did none of those things for Christ, as we mentioned. Didn't do a single thing. He, he invited him as kind of like, okay, I'll let him come to my, my home, but I'm not going to recognize him as a viable guest. Have you invited Christ into your home? Have you invited Christ into your life? Have you invited him into your world? Do you recognize him? Do you honor him? Do you obey him? Or do you let those things go? You just kind of say, yeah, come on, if you want to type thing, but you don't do it. Simon had neglected Christ, and that's what many of us do. We neglect the Savior, the Son of God, who's come into our life and wants to be a vital part. Here's the compliment. The woman was uninvited, but she did it all for the Lord and more. She worshiped him. She sacrificed for him. Point number six is her salvation. Jesus said unto her, your sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say again, within themselves. Didn't say it out loud. Began to say within themselves, who is this that forgives sins also? Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Well, they're right. But what it didn't know, what they didn't realize is that Jesus was and is and always shall be God. He is God the Son and the Son of God. For God so loved the world... He gave his only begotten son that whosoever, even a sinful prostitute, woman of the town, woman of the town, can come to Christ, have her sins forgiven, be washed as pure and as white as snow, and live forever with her Savior in heaven. They began to say within themselves, who is this to forgive sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So her sins were forgiven, and she went away in peace. I, want you, I just want to point out one thing. We'll be through. The woman was not saved by her tears. You can be very sorry for sin in your life. You can be extremely sorry. Judas was, Judas Iscariot was extremely sorry. He wept and he hung himself. The Bible nowhere says he repented. I don't know if he did. I, I doubt that he did. I don't think he did. But weeping enough, weeping by itself is not enough. She was not saved by her great love, but she indeed loved Christ. Whether she had heard him before, whether she had been around him before, whether she was just in love with who people told her he was, I don't know, but she had great love for him, but she was not saved for her love. You can love God and die and go to hell if you're not trusting in him as your God and Savior. She wasn't saved by her works. And her works were obvious to everybody there. Though they were disdained by many, Jesus appreciated them. Her works were obvious. She wasn't saved by that. She wasn't even saved by her sacrifice. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot pay enough money. You cannot sacrifice enough. You you can't even be a, a martyr and pay for your own sins. You can't do it. Her sacrifice did not save her. She was saved by her faith. Verse 50, thy faith has saved you. Go in peace. James said it this way. What does it profit, brothers, 
If a man says he has faith but has not works, can that faith, that kind of faith save him? If you say you have faith and your life does not line up with your profession, can that kind of faith save you? And the answer in this hypothetical situation is no. No, works don't save you. But folks, if you have faith in the Son of God that's genuine, works will follow. Faith is the engine. Works are the cars that follow the engine. In 1830, a man named George Wilson was arrested for mail fraud, and the penalty at that point in time was was hanging, death by hanging. After a time, President Andrew Jackson gave Wilson a pardon, but Wilson refused to accept the pardon. Can you imagine that? Look, we're going to hang you, buddy. President of the United States writes a pardon. Hey, good news. You get to go home because the President of the United States has written a pardon. You don't have to be hanged anymore. The guy says, I don't want his pardon. I'm not going to have anything to do with his pardon. The authorities were puzzled. Should Wilson be freed or should he be hung? They consulted Chief Justice John Marshall, who handed down this decision. And listen to this. A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it's refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. What kind of a nutcase would turn down a pardon from being hung? And yet there are people who turn down a pardon of sin and eternal life and forgiveness and relationship with Jesus Christ for what? For what this world has to offer? For wanting to, having a desire to do their own thing? I don't know. George Wilson, that makes no sense to me what he did, but it makes no sense to me for a man or a woman to say no to Christ when he wants to give them so very, very much. Would you bow your heads, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me read to you again verses 28 through 30 of Matthew 11. Jesus is speaking in a red-letter version of the Bible. These are red letters and red words. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. If you're burdened, in other words, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my burden, my, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How many would say, every head bowed, every eye closed, how many would say, preacher, my burdens this morning are many, and they're heavy. They're very heavy. It may not be you're lost. I'm not talking about that, but you've got some burdens today, and they're heavy on your heart. Just raise your hands up real high. The Lord will know. He knows it one way or the other, but I'd like to pray for you. And there's several hands that went up. Burdens, heavy burdens. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. How many would go one step further and say, Preacher, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be frank with you. I, I sit here this morning. I'm not certain of my own relationship with Christ. I'm not sure if I die to go to heaven, but I want you to know I'm sincerely concerned about it, and I'd like your prayers. I won't embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you. 
With every head bowed, would you raise your hand up? Pray for me, preacher. I'm not sure about my salvation. God bless you and you. God bless you. I've got some great news. For those who raised their hands and maybe some of you who wish you had, the Bible says anyone that comes to me, everyone that comes to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He is meek, he is lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you can be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And right where you're seated, I'd like you to exercise a step of faith. You see, preacher, it sounds too easy. That's because Jesus has done the really hard part. He went to Calvary. He was crucified. He died for you. So the easy part is for you to accept that pardon that's already been written for you. So will you do that? How do you do it? By praying and asking the Lord to be your Savior and your God. Say something like this. You can say it to the Lord. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I know my works can't get me to heaven. I know my sacrifices can't get me to heaven. I know my love can't get me to heaven. I know my conviction can't get me to heaven. My tears can't get me to heaven. But I believe that your son is telling the truth when he says if we will come unto him, he will not cast us out. And this morning, right here, First Baptist Church, right where I'm seated, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Be my God and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, head still bowed. If you just now prayed that prayer by faith, you just now prayed that prayer by faith. Would you raise your hand up? Raise it up for just a moment. Preacher, I just prayed this prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us with such a great love that would send your only begotten son to die on the cross for us. Lord, I pray that you'd help those who are not certain they're saved to get saved and those who are, those of us, Lord, who maybe find ourselves understanding this position of the Pharisee more than the woman of the town, I pray you'd help us to realize we're all sinners like this lady was. We're all guilty. But your forgiveness and pardon is available. May we make things right with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we stand together? I'm going to ask uh, Fitz, would you come down here, please? And, and guys, this is the opportunity for you to come and to have a word of prayer with Fitz, help the guys. My wife and Rachel are over here to help the ladies. There's something you need to do today. God spoke into your heart. Something needs to change in your life. Don't go out the way you came in. Let God transform you. This lady came in a sinner, immoral, on her way to hell. She left a saint, forgiven, cleansed by the very words of Christ, her faith in him. Let God change you in some great way. As our praise team leads us, you come on right now. The very first verse, don't wait. Come ahead and let's take care of business with God.